Hey, Pastor John Aiken here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Faith Center podcast. We hope today's teaching will awaken and equip you to live out your God-given purpose. Enjoy. So hopefully you have sermon notes. Um, there's a lot I want to cover. I, uh, I don't know how I can really cover everything I want to do. I want you to open your Bible to Luke chapter 1. It's where we're going to start in just a minute. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to start. But on your, your Bible notes, we're talking tonight about why, why should you trust the Bible? Why, why should I trust the Bible? There's lots of questions. There's lots of things in our, in our society. And, and yeah, the buckets, just pass, pass them to the center. Just have them come to the center, and then we'll, we'll gather them up. And, and everybody help kind of watch. Make sure nobody, when, while we're in the Word, nobody's stealing from the bucket. David, no <laughs> And we've talked about truth. We talked about uh, last few weeks. We've talked about how you have to be ready. Peter talks about you have to be ready to give an answer for the reason that you believe, um, and why should we believe the Bible? And there's in our day and age, there's a lot of people questioning so many different things. Um, every generation, even, even your generation, every generation questions the generation before. Every generation does it. It's not a new thing with these young whippersnappers. Every generation does it. We always question the authority. And so what I want to tell you is um, you need to search for yourself. You have to determine. You have to determine what is the authority of your life. We talked about that a little bit last week. Is it going to be culture? Is it going to be what? We talked about all that last week. So today I want to just remind us, why should I trust the Bible? The first is this. The Bible is 66 different books. It's not one book. It's not one book. It's 66 different books written over 40 by 40 different authors over in three different languages from three different continents over a period of 1,600 years. And it has one theme. And that's Jesus Christ. One theme, Jesus Christ. A lot of people go to the Bible to find history. Some people go to the Bible to find, you can go to the Bible looking for all kinds of stuff. People have misused the Bible. People have, have, have misused that. Like I like Rick Lindenden used to say this. He used to say that's, that's as crazy or that's as useless as a football bat. Well, hopefully you understand there is no such thing as a football bat. That's somebody using something incorrectly. So the Bible has been used incorrectly all the time. Over generations, the Bible has been used incorrectly. And so why should we trust the Bible? Because the Bible's all about Jesus Christ. And when, and when, you, when you study and look at it, and listen, what I would say to you is if you have questions about the Bible, and, and like, like I did, Go study. The worst thing you could do is say, well, I don't think I believe that. You know, because there's, there's um, you need to have some credibility and some reliability and some evidence to really, to know why you believe what you believe. And it has to be better than because Pastor John said so. You've got to find out for yourself. But those who don't believe the Bible, the same thing is true for you. 
Now that I know what the Bible teaches from front to back and I understand it's a themed book and the theme is not about this nation or this nation or this person or that person, the main character of the story is Jesus. And without him, it doesn't make any sense. He's the central theme. And if you took Forrest Gump out of Forrest Gump, the movie wouldn't make much sense. And so he's the, Jesus is the central figure. So when you come to the Bible, even if you're like, I don't know if I believe it, that's totally okay. You come to it and you start reading, but when you read, don't look for history. Don't look for certain characters. Don't don't let those littler things overshadow the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ. And who he says he is. Because like I said a few weeks ago, he either some people think he's a myth, like he's a legend. Some people think he's, he's a liar. Like some people compare him with other writings about other epic stories and, and, and things about, about creation or things about this, this nation or this nation or some mythical thing. They think he's mythical, made up by man. Or, or they think, no, he's a real person, but he's just a liar. He's not who he said he was. Or they think, just to make it all begin with L, they think he's a lunatic. He thought he was God, but he just, you know, his, he's a fry short of a Happy Meal. He, just, he didn't understand. He was, he was something, he had a mental issue, and he didn't understand who he was. Uh, or he's Lord. You have to say he's one of those. You have to know what you believe, whether you believe in Jesus through the Bible or you don't. You have to be willing, whether you believe in him or you don't. You have to be so confident in your belief for or against that you're willing to stand before the person who's possibly the Lord and say, I don't think you're Lord. I think you're a liar. I think you're a lunatic or I think you're a legend. And if you're willing to take the risk of standing before, because if you're wrong, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong about what I believe about the the Bible, then then I'm prepared to stand before the Lord based upon his word. I'm prepared for that. And so if it turns out he's a liar, it turns out he's a lunatic, or it turns out he's a legend, I'm good. Doesn't really matter. But if you believe he's a liar, if you believe he's just a legend that weak Christians use as a crutch, if you believe he's a lunatic and he's crazy and none of it's true, you better believe it to the point that you might, that your lunatic might turn out to be the Lord. You have to make that decision. I'm not, I don't want to argue with people. I don't want to whatever. I just know why I believe. I know why I believe. And tonight I'm just going to share some of those things. So it's all about, it's all about Jesus Christ. So, um, and you know what Jesus did? He affirmed Jesus, all through the New Testament, affirmed the Old Testament as the Word of God. He said Scripture could not be broken. There's different Scriptures I think we read through on that last week. So Jesus himself affirmed the Old Testament is the Word of God. He affirmed that. So if you believe Jesus is Lord, then you have to believe that because of his miracles, because all the stuff that he did, and if you, if you believe that, then you have to believe that the Old Testament... Uh, is the Word of God, and then the next thing is the New Testament being the Word of God. So you got to believe that if you believe He's Lord. 
And that verse there that we, that we looked at from last week, John 7, 17, if, this is what Jesus said. When Jesus, this is, this is the most important thing I'm going to share with you tonight. Because I believe Jesus is Lord, and what the Lord said is when people questioned him, saying, how do we know you're teaching? How do we know you're teaching? is of God. Jesus said that verse right there. If anyone is willing to do my will, basically, is what he said, then you will know with certainty. You will know whether my teaching is made up, whether I'm a liar, whether I'm a legend, uh, or whether I'm a lunatic, or whether I'm Lord. If you're willing to do it. If you're willing to do it. I love that verse. And so a couple extra resources you can look at right there is, is just josh.org, um, which is uh, Josh McDowell. And you can look at, he has tons of stuff you can look at if you want to learn more about the Bible and learn more how to answer questions. And then this YouTube video, I just happened to come across this. I don't get on YouTube much. I happen to come across this, How to Destroy Christianity with One Easy Step. Go watch that video. See if you like it. Uh, and you know... I wrote down, I heard a guy say something like this. I don't know if I quoted him accurately. I heard a preacher say this a while back, and I tried to remember it, but that the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses who reported supernatural events, which, supernatural events which are fulfillments of specific prophecies from hundreds of years ago. That's what the Bible is. I'm not going to say that again because I don't know if I can remember all of it. I wrote down little notes here, but I don't know if I remember all of it. So I can trust the Bible, number one. I can trust the Bible because the eyewitness testimonies of the resurrection. Luke chapter 1. The eyewitness testimonies. We ain't talking about just what Pookie and them said. The eyewitness testimonies. So Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand... So watch, just look at this. As much as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative, which means that word means a declaration, of the things which have been fulfilled among us. I want you to see this language because the New Testament writers, the people who were eyewitnesses, were, were shared stuff that were, that were with other eyewitnesses in the eyewitness generation. And many times you see the phrase among us or even to the enemies, even to the unbelievers. You see that Jesus it says things like this, Jesus who was, who was crucified before you or or the miracles, signs, and wonders that Jesus did in front of you. It says phrases like that, like even to your enemies, like, and no one even debated it. There wasn't even any, any issue, like even to the enemies, like y'all saw it. Y'all know it. It was in an eyewitness generation. Now, Luke didn't walk with Jesus. Luke was not one of the disciples of Jesus. Luke is actually just a really smart guy that's listening to eyewitnesses like Peter and Mary and probably a couple other people, listening to them and saying, y'all need to write this down. But Peter was too busy running his mouth. He don't know how to write stuff down, so he needed somebody to help him write it down. 
And so Luke said, I'm going to bring my, my intelligence into this thing and take the stories of eyewitnesses and write down. Many have tried, it said many have done this, but I'm going to step in. And even though I was not an eyewitness myself, I'm in the eyewitness generation and I've talked to other eyewitnesses and I'm going to make this account, um, this narrative true. Like write it out in an orderly account. So just to those from the beginning, verse 2, who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theopolis, that you may, look at this, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. Faith is never blind. We never approach the Bible like it's a legend, like it's a myth. We never approach it as if it's just fairy tale stuff, some mythological creature that we that we that there's no history, there's no reliability, there's no trustworthiness. And that's not what the Bible is at all. It's nothing like that. And so in this reality, He's saying, I, I, I made this account, and, and so you could see it. And you see these others. You, we already, I, I read Acts 1 a few Sundays ago. Look in John chapter 1. Go all the way, uh, 1 John, I mean, not John, 1 John chapter 1. Go to the back. I want you to see this because it's really, really good. Hopefully you all, you all know um, what scripture, when you see it written down there on your paper, hopefully you're kind of like, oh, I know what that scripture says. That means you're good. That means you're passing the class. That means it's really good. First John, which is, which is in the back of your Bible, this is the Apostle John who did walk with Jesus. He wrote the Gospel of John, and he also wrote this. And I love what it says. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Okay, he's talking about Jesus, the word of God, the living word of God. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. Guys, you'll see that through the book of Acts. You'll see that we can't help but speak what we've seen and heard. It's being a witness. Uh, that you may also have fellowship with us, Man, that's a powerful statement. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write. We write to you that your joy may be full. I heard a guy one time talking, a, a professor said something like this. He said he was in class, and I don't know where I first heard, it might have been Rick Clendenin where I first heard, I can't, I don't remember, but the guy had said something like this, that the professor, there's a student came in, thought he knew something, thought he was smarter than professor. And he came in and the, the guy was supposed to write a paper and he was supposed to cite the different references 
for his points in his, in his paper. And of course, you're supposed to have like, you know, footnotes and, and written, ref, written resources and references, uh, you know, for those of you who've written papers. I never wrote papers. <laughs> but you're supposed to have references there. And so what he did is he didn't write any references. And the, the teacher asked him, who are you? show me your references for your, for your paper. And he said, well, I talked, to, I talked to this one lady at Starbucks. I talked to this one man over at the mall. I talked, and the, guy, the teacher was like, no, you need written references. You need to write it down. It needs to be, you can't just say, I'm, I talked to somebody at Starbucks. You need written references. And, and the guy was like, well, you know, Professor, I disagree with you. I think these are just as valid as whatever. Why do we need something written down to make it valid? Why do we need that kind of accountability? I, I, I think that's what's wrong, you know, and he just gave, a, gave the professor a little lecture. And so he said, fine, fine. So they go through the, the semester, and he actually passes the class. The professor let him pass the class and actually was graduating. So it came time for him to walk through his graduation and come through. And he got to the point where they're passing out. <laughs> Some of y'all know where this is going. Passing out the, uh, what do you call that? Diploma. Diploma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I have one. And, and, the, and the professor said, oh, no, you, you have graduated, but we're not giving you anything in writing to validate it. And so we write, we write this. These people, they, they saw and they heard and their hands have touched. This is the word of life. This is the Messiah. This is the one who's been promised. So we write to you. They're writing this. So we need to say, is their writing trustworthy? And then 1 Corinthians 15, we talked about that a couple weeks ago, about, about um, you know, the eyewitnesses of, and circle that word, resurrection, because if the resurrection never happened, why do I believe the Bible? The eyewitnesses to the resurrection. If the resurrection never happened, then you might as well throw your Bible away. But if the resurrection happened and he actually rose from the dead and there's reliability with over 500 people in one time in one place that were eyewitness, eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord and, and probably putting them all together, those 500 and then the, the, uh, the apostles and, and the 70, putting them all together, who knows how many people that would have been in a letter and in a document, uh, 500 plus people that would have been that would have that what Paul basically said was that all these people and named them, named them, not all 500, but named the apostles and named them and said, guys, they saw Jesus alive after he was dead. They saw him and you some of them have fallen asleep, meaning they died, but they're still alive. Go talk to him. So within the eyewitness generation, all it would have taken and all the enemies that Christ had, all that would have happened is one person to find a foot of Jesus, one person to find a bone from Jesus, one person to find. And, and a number of years ago, my brother, uh, he watched some documentary or a docu it, it was a promotion for a documentary that was coming. Um, and they had claimed the guy claimed to have found the body of Jesus. Claimed to have found the body of Jesus to disprove the Bible. And if he would have found the body of Jesus, it would, it would, and it would have been proven that it was the body of Jesus, it would have totally disproved everything in the Bible. 
Because if you take away the resurrection, you take away the central theme of the Bible. You take it away. And, and so my brother called me, Johnny. They call me Johnny. You call me John. They call me Johnny. Greg. And they said, Johnny, um, like, they, they found the body of Jesus. And I'm like, Billy, you're a moron. <laughs> you, know, you know, Billy, no, they didn't. It's just documentary. And then, oh, and I'm like, oh, like all those other documentaries, like, um, what were those, some of those documentaries? Um, da Vinci Code and all that stuff that, are, that have no, his, no history, no reliable history, no historicity, I think is what they call it. It's just, oh, I saw it in a movie. So, so my brother's like, they found the body of Jesus. And I'm like, no, no, they didn't. And so the show came out, and, and they, hadn't, they didn't find the body of Jesus. So there's been all these people that come and do these things, uh, trying to disprove the Bible. And it's so funny how the news and everybody picks it up, and they try to show it, like to discredit the Bible. But, no, but, but, then, but then when it's proven to be false and the Bible's proven to be true, and the testimony of the resurrection is proven to be true, nobody touts that. So why do I believe the Bible? Because the eyewitness generation, the eyewitnesses among the eyewitnesses, and some of those eyewitnesses were enemies to the cross of Christ, saw Jesus resurrected. And Saul, who became Paul, is the perfect person who did not believe, he was shutting down Christianity. He was saying, this is not real, this is a cult, this is not real. And so the one who is the worst enemy of the bunch trying to shut down Christianity actually ended up seeing the resurrected Jesus, and he's the one that God used to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And that's part of my prayer that I pray not every day, but I pray probably every week. And I'll just pray it right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you will awaken and equip the souls of this generation to become Paul's. The enemies of the gospel, that you would flip them and turn them to preach your gospel in Jesus' name. Because that's what happened with him. Okay, the second thing is the number two is the testimonies of transformation. And there's lots of script, there's some scriptures there. I just wrote down a few you can read about. Paul's, Saul, Paul's transformation. Um, Lauren did a great job at the men's night teaching the other night. Any men here that thought Lauren did a, a good job teaching the other night? Yes. Four, okay, two people. Great. I thought you did a wonderful job teaching. And you talked about that scripture, I believe, Acts 26. And it was Paul giving his testimony. And, and, so, and so it's a testimony of transformation. Now, this is not the only thing that, that you use because you can be transformed by anything. You can have a transforming experience that's not a godly experience, you know. So you can't just use experience as your evidence. You have to test the experience. And so, so what, those are scriptures you can look and, and just see about faith and how it takes faith that without faith, the message, the witness, the testimony didn't profit anybody. And then you look at the heroes of faith who did everything by faith. So it takes faith to walk with Jesus, but faith is never blind. And if you can't get past, if there's things that you struggle with about the Bible because of whatever, um, what I would encourage you to do is 
look at the center, look at the resurrection of Jesus and build from there. Do you believe Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead? And if you believe that, you can start building upon that. That's the foundation. He is the, he is the cornerstone. He is the rock. He is the foundation of it. And so when lives are transformed, you think about the, the disciples, the apostles who walk with Jesus. Um, after they saw the resurrected Jesus... After they saw the resurrected Jesus, their lives were transformed, totally transformed. All but one or two ended up dying, persecuted. One was head cut off. One was crucified upside down. Uh, all the, they, were, they were persecuted. They gave their life testifying. And all they, like if it was a hoax and the resurrection was a hoax and you're one of the disciples and you're going out, I mean, what would they gain? What would they gain from going around all their known world and preaching this hoax, preaching this fake thing because they didn't, they didn't realize or, or whether it was an intentional hoax or, or an unintentional hoax, like maybe somebody, they drank the Kool-Aid of somebody else and well, Peter said he was raised from the dead. I just believe Peter. And they go, and then you got a sword to your neck, and then you'd be like, Peter, I hope you're right about this. No, they, they gave their lives, and their lives were transformed. They gave their life. I think most Christians today, in most churches, at least in America, if you got to a point, some of us won't. I'm catching myself. What's the thing, what's the knife that goes to your throat that makes you bow to another name? What's the pressure you face? What's the persecution you face? Jerry, you kind of back up on Jesus. The, the Bible talks, these people were sawn in two. Like saw, a person who's one, Eh, 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 two. They're sawn in two for their faith. That's the testimony and the transformation that these eyewitnesses had. The third one, the testimonies of the scriptures themselves. Look in, look in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. I want you to see a few of these scriptures. All the way to the end of, the, of 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, and look at verse 16. Actually, 15 and 16. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also... Uh, our beloved brother Paul, so that's the guy who used to be Saul, and his name is now Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Writing is so important. As also in all his epistles, and that's a fancy word for letter, his writings, his letters, the New Testament letters, speaking in them, meaning in his letters, of the things in which... Um, in which some things are hard to understand. Is some things in the Bible hard to understand? Yes. And even the eyewitnesses said so. Which untaught and unstable people. Do you know any unstable people? 
untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So two things happening there. Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, that the New Testament is part of the scriptures because they're talking about the scriptures. Jesus and all the apostles did nothing but quote from the Old Testament. I told you a couple weeks ago that the, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. The Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. It's one thing, Jesus. It's one thing. And so they twist it. So people twist scripture. It, just because people twist Scripture and try to give it to you twisted does not mean we throw away Scripture. Um, matter of fact, go to the, the verse I had listed there. I had some other verses I was looking at, but I don't think I'm going to go. go. Go to 2 Timothy 2.15. Just... And we're going to come back to Peter in a few minutes, but I want you to flip over to 2, 2 Timothy 2. Many of you know this verse, but it's really important. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Every time I hear your Bible pages turn, I think Jesus is at work in your life. It gives me encouragement. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Some people who are unstable and untaught twist it to their own destruction. And then some people, if you can rightly divide it and dissect it, then you can wrongly do it. You can wrongly do it. And so we need, to, we need to look to the Scriptures. And I talked more last week about the Scriptures. Go back and listen to last week's sermon. There's more things about the Scriptures. But the Old Testament is filled with symbols and shadows and types of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the substance. Matter of fact, the next point, number four, why, why should I believe the Bible is the testimonies of the prophecies. And there are a ton, a ton, I, I don't have time to go into them, a ton of prophecies about the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Tons of prophecies. Psalm 22 is one of them. Psalm 110 is one of them. Matter of fact, uh, in that verse I have written down there, I don't know, it's some, yeah, Luke 24, 44, one of the last things Jesus did, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is he, he broke off a Bible study where he showed the disciples and the apostles himself in all the scriptures. Showed himself through the scriptures because it's all about him. Uh. And that verse there in Colossians 2, you don't have to turn there, but that's what it talks about, all the symbols and shadows that point to the substance. Christ is the substance. And sometimes people find new symbols and prophetic shadows and, and, and things that point to Jesus, and they make a big deal about the symbolism instead of the substance. That is Jesus. And so an example of this is in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. And this is what I want to show you. This is um, 
I'm probably going to speed up after this one, I think. Just in case some of y'all need encouragement, then I'm going to end sometime soon. 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. I just want you to, this is so good to me. I love this. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now this is an eyewitness named Peter. In verse 16 is where we'll start. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses. Guys, an eyewitness in an eyewitness generation that nobody disproved. There are no other writings. There are no other evidences from that generation that would have been the generation to say, Peter, you're lying. Here's the body of Jesus. Peter, you're lying because because the, 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 the enemies of Christ were so hungry, the Roman soldier, all the different people were, were wanting so bad to disprove the reality of the resurrection. And no one in the eyewitness generation could do it. What has survived thousands of years is not the evidence against the resurrection from the eyewitness generation, but the re- evidence and reality and reliability of the resurrection from the eyewitness generation. So if anybody tells you, if anybody, well, oh, I'll let that go too. So look at, look at what he says. Eyewitnesses of his majesty, verse 17. For he received from God, meaning Jesus received from God the Father, honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, meaning from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So he's not talking about when Jesus was baptized. He's talking about another time. We're going to find out what that time is in a second. On the holy mountain. Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture. So what's the prophecy? The prophecy of scripture. The prophecy that was written a long, 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 long time ago that was precise and specific and fulfilled in Jesus and him alone. The prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to move the people to write the Word of God, and it takes the Holy Spirit for you to receive the Word of God. But here's what I want you to see. This is what I want you to see. You don't have to turn there right now. You, don't, you, don't, you can look at this later. But you see that in Luke 9, 29, that little note I have down there, the mountain of transfiguration. So this is what Peter's talking about. This is what he's testifying about, the mountain of transfiguration. Jesus uh, and some of his disciples, they go. Peter is one of them. James and John were the others. And they go, Jesus is on a mountain. He's up on a mountain. And they're down there with him. And what happens in Luke chapter 9 
and other places it records it in other gospels, but it's called the mountain of transfiguration. So Jesus is on this mountain and suddenly he began to like glow and the glory of the Lord came upon him and he shined like just this brilliance, this glory. And it was manifested like this, something supernatural was happening. And then Moses and Elijah stood next to Jesus. And the cool thing is Peter and them recognized that's Moses and that's Elijah. And Jesus is glowing. And it said they were talking. And another scripture says that they were talking about the death of Jesus. How cool is that? That Moses, who represents the law, the law giver, and Elijah, who represents the prophet. So you have the law and the prophets centered on either or on, on the law and the prophets and Jesus in the center. And they're talking about the death that Jesus was going to die. Then some other things happened, and then a voice came out of heaven. And this is what that voice said. The first thing, he's quoting, when that voice came out of heaven, when the voice came out of heaven, it wasn't God grabbing the microphone. Hey, boy, I love you. That's my boy. He wasn't saying a positive encouragement. Jesus, you can do all things through you. <laughs> He wasn't saying some, he was quoting scripture. That's why it's the prophecy of scripture confirmed. We heard the voice tell us the verse when it was focused on Jesus and Moses and Elijah were there. And the Bible says, let everything be established by two or at the most three witnesses. So were Peter, James, and John. You had three on the mountain, you had three in the valley. The testimony of the law and prophets and the Christ. And he quoted, um, he qu and I put this out of order. I don't know why I did it that way. Maybe because the, in scripture. So, um, so you'll have to kind of, so what he said is, you, is, you are my beloved, you are my son in whom I sold the lights, is, is, is what, he, what he said. And him you shall hear, is the added part he said different from his baptism. Him you shall hear. So the him you shall hear is quoted actually from Deuteronomy 18. The, the, and Psalm 2, if you read that verse in Psalm 2, it literally talks about my king shall be established on my holy hill. And it will say God will, God will declare over him, God will declare over him, you are my son. So the fulfillment of that is right there at the Mount of Transfiguration. And then Isaiah 42.1 talks about in whom my soul delights. So all of these, any Jewish person that had any understanding of, of elementary level, um, uh, you know, Judaism would have known. Like when we, I, I would say, turn to Luke chapter 6. And, you, and that's how we focus in, our, in the Bible. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And that's how we do it. Well, they didn't have that. So he would say, uh, you know, Turn, you know, it would turn, open the scroll. You know, it, it would talk about a character like to to Abraham and Abraham's call, or to this this part, you know, or to the to the suffering servant. So it the way you the way you identified a passage of scripture that you're referring to was not chapter and verse. It was it was a completely different way. And so when God's voice came out of heaven, what was happening? He was affirming 
and fulfilling the word of God to Jesus. And that same thing should happen to you and I today if we become halfway serious about the word of God. You should be reading the word of God and the voice of God should speak to you. The revelation and wisdom of scripture. And the verse will lead you to the voice. And the voice will lead you to the verse. If the voice leads you away from the verse, you need to repent. And if the verse, your verse, 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 and you never hear a voice, you need to repent. So you can, you can hear both. All right, let's flip this thing over. So the fifth thing is the testimonies of archaeology. Guys, there's a whole bunch of stuff I can say. The one thing that really got me years ago is I read a, a thing about a guy named Sir William Ramsey. Does anybody know? Raise your hand if you know who Sir William Ramsey is. Does anybody know who Sir William Ramsey is? Okay. He was a non, he did not believe the Bible was reliable. He was a historian and he was an archaeologist. And so he decided to dis, he decided to prove the unreliability of the Bible. And he's like Princeton, Cambridge kind of guy, almost as smart as me. And so what he ended up doing is he went on an expedition to disprove the Bible and he chose Luke saying Luke, through Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and also wrote the book of Acts, has so much history claimed about this city and this governor and this person and this so much history that he could, if he could disprove either the book of Acts or disprove the reliability of the book of Luke, then he would just dismantle the Bible. And so he went over there. I don't know how long he spent over there, but he went over there and ended up being converted himself. And he, he, said, he, he said, Luke is a historian of the first rank uh, and his writings are true and trustworthy. And then it, it says, another guy quoting him and a guy who said some stuff with him says, Luke names 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands without error. For act, and for Acts, meaning the book of Acts, the confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. And any attempt to reject its basic historicity must now appear absurd. There's a couple findings that he found that are connected to Acts 17. I forget what they are, but there's a certain phrase in Acts 17 that was that scholars were they'll 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 pick, they'll nitpick one little thing. You know, there's a little bit. The Bible is inspired, and people say the Bible is inerrant, like there's no error in it. And I just hate to bust this to y'all, but that's not technically true. There's some different things through manuscripts and stuff that there, if you study out the different manuscripts, is the Bible inerrant as far as the gospel? Absolutely. As far as the resurrection? Absolutely. As far as the whole thing of what we would call the doctrine that we trust? Absolutely. Absolutely. But are there different things that, that, that it's, it, in different places it says things that, that it, there's a, there's a, uh, a pronoun or something in a manuscript that, that we don't see be, that's a little different and out of place when you study the manuscripts, but we don't see it because we just read it in English? Are there things that are, out, that, that are a little bit like some look contradictory, but they're not contradictory. They don't contradict themselves. 
But people say they contradict themselves. But when you look at it, it doesn't really contradict itself. There's logical explanations. But there's others, like one is about King, what's his name? King um, in, in, in Chronicles, the king that was eight years old. What was his name? Uh, no, it's not Josiah, but it's something like that. It's Jehoiakim, I think. And it says, it says in one that he began his reign at eight years old. Second Chronicles, he began his reign at eight years old. Go to Second Kings, he began his reign at 18 years old. Same king, study it out, same king. Does that disprove the Bible? Heaven, no. No, not at all. Not at all. So be careful, and here's why I'm saying this, because some of you will go around, the Bible has no contradictions, and you're going to get somebody who studied a little more than you slap you in the face with something that you're going to start backpedaling when there's easy explanations to all of this. Easy explanations. So the Bible is, is absolutely the Word of God. It is absolutely God-breathed. It is the Word of God. But through the manuscripts, did some scribes along the way make some mistakes? There's no way to question that. Yes, but it doesn't change. It doesn't change. Matter of fact, even though his, you know, there's some things came out about his life, I think you can still trust him. Ravi Zacharias said the Bible, in his opinion, is 99.4% without error. Because there's different little pronouns, commas in a different place, little stuff, a numerical thing that really doesn't change anything in the Bible. Doesn't change anything about Jesus and who he is. So when it comes to Jesus and the gospel, it is inerrant. But when it comes to some of these side sub things about he, there, there's things that you, you need to look at some of the contradictions that appear to be contradictions, but they're really not. You need to study that out. And that josh.org, you can study some of that stuff out. Because when you just walk around, the, the Bible is, is perfect without mistake. You're, you're setting yourself up to lose an argument. When you preach Jesus as the way, truth, and life, and the Bible is the word of God. And that's where I'm just, I'm being transparent. I hope y'all can, can hear what I'm saying and not, you know, oh my gosh, Pastor John said, I don't hear nothing like that. You just need to be, you need to, you need to understand these things. And like, for example, it'll, it'll explain it as we go a little bit further. So number, number six, the testimonies of the manuscripts. So the canon, and this is not talking about a Civil War canon. This is talking about a, a measuring rod. The word canon means a measuring rod or a standard. The canon of Scripture is a definitive list of the books which are considered to be divine revelation. In order for it to fit in a canon, which means it, it meets the requirements, the canon is like a measuring stick that you got to be this tall to ride. That's kind of what it is. And so, so through the history and, and testing the, the accuracy and reliability of the scriptures, you would have to answer these questions about it to see if it would fit into the canon of scripture. One, is it authoritative? Meaning, does it claim to be thus saith the Lord? Meaning the authority comes from God. So does the writing claim to have a thus saith the Lord, or is it thus saith Moses? So does the writing claim to be from God? Huge. 
Is it prophetic? Meaning, did it come from a man or woman of God? Did it come from a person of God? So was this person reliable or was this person about a quarter inch off? In their testimony, in their life, in their example, they measured that. They look at, at writings and sources to, to find that. It, did it come from somebody who's a, a person that actually walked with God in a reliable way? Is it authentic? Meaning, meaning the book would be left out if there was any doubt about the writing or the author. So if they didn't know about big portions of the writing, if they didn't know some of these things, then it, they didn't consider it authentic and they left it out. So there's a, a real strict uh, um, measuring here. Is it dynamic, meaning is it, does it change lives? Is there, is there testimony of lives being changed? And then the recept receptivity of it. Was it received? Was it read? Was it used by people generationally and geographically? So they didn't just look at one area in one group of people. They looked at the Eastern church. They looked at the Western church. They looked at the older church. They looked at the younger church. They looked over generations searching. So when you see these councils that, that establish what they call the official canon or the official list, that's not some group of people, and it's not Constantine doing it. It's not some group of people coming and saying, this is what the Bible is. This is all you can read. It's, it's not, it, that's not what it is at at all. It's not a bunch of monks somewhere saying, this is the word of God and this because we say so and we're aboard and we've got authority and this is what we say is the word of God. It's not that at all. It is them looking and sim simply affirming over the previous generations and geographic locations, the Eastern Church and the Western Church, independently of each other, and that council affirmed through their testimony that those churches independently, those regions and those generations, independently of each other, all the way back to the eyewitness generation, used these scriptures and said that these were the word of God. Word of God. So they only affirmed what the generations before them already knew. They did not set some list of saying, this is the Bible because we say so. That is completely ignorant. It's not what they did at all. And you can go study that out. So you have the apocryphal writings, which are other writings written during the 400 years of silence, which is the 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. So there's other writings, and none of these writers ever claimed to, to be inspired by God, and not one, not Jesus, nor any of the apostles in the New Testament, quote from that writing. But I think Jesus and the apostles quote from, 30, uh, from 31 of the 39 Old Testament books. So the Apocrypha, they can have some historical value, but they do not have, they're not inspired by God. So they're not included in, in the canon. And that wasn't done by that group that said, well, let's throw these out. We don't like those. Let's throw those out. That was rejected by the eyewitness generations. So translations, people use this. They say, have you ever heard of that thing? It's called, you know, they play that game telephone. Like if I come over here and tell you something and then you tell, you go, and by the time it goes all the way around the room, it's changed. And people say, that's what happens with these translations. You can't trust the translations. Who knows what it really said in the beginning? You can't trust it. Because by the time it's been translated from this to this to this to this, you don't know what it says. That's somebody who has no idea how they translate Bibles. 
because you have a manuscript, and a manuscript is, is a piece of writing material before the printing press where a scribe literally wrote on it. So you have a manuscript, and we have these early manuscripts, which I'll talk about in just a second, these early manuscripts. And so when they're making a translation from this writing, from uh, whether it's Greek or, or Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever, they're, they're taking from this language and writing it into this language. There's a whole process that they do. I can't go into that right now. But when they do that and they make, they make a translation, they don't then, when they're going to make another translation, use this translation to make this translation. And then this translation to make this translation. That's me telling you and then you telling her and, you, and going around the room. That's not how translations happen. How translation happen is, is here's, the here's the, not the original, but here's an early manuscript. They go back to the early manuscript make a translation. Then somebody else over here is going to make a translation. They go back to the early manuscript, which is more like me going to you, telling you something. And then I come to you, and I tell you something. And then I come to you, and I tell you something. The same thing. You go back to the, the earliest known manuscript. So it's not a translation. It's not a copy of 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 a copy, a translation of a translation of a translation. They all go back to the earliest known manuscripts that are available. Does that make sense? So when people say, oh, you know, all those translations, you just got to be careful. Yep. Oh, my goodness. So the Dead Sea Scrolls. How do I talk about the Dead Sea Scrolls in two minutes? It's ridiculous. So the Dead Sea Scrolls in the 1940s and 50s, uh, they, archaeologists found the, these Dead Sea Scrolls. Here's the cool thing about it. Here's the bottom line with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, and I've seen this with my own eyes. I went to Jerusalem, saw this with my own eyes. It's so cool, life-transforming. You go, they found the entire complete scroll of Isaiah. And it's there in the Dead Sea Scroll Museum. Unbelievable place to see. And... And so that copy, so what happens is we look at our Bible. Our Bibles were written from what the earliest Old Testament was called the Masoretic Text. And our copies, our Bibles were written from that. And then scholars were saying, well, how can you trust the, you know, how can you trust the reliability of it, blah, 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 all this stuff. And then they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Dead Sea Scrolls are the manuscript, not Xerox, not printing press, um, printing press was probably, I don't know, around 1500, something like that, I guess, something like that. And so it was physical copies. And so what ended up happening is when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found all kinds of stuff, lots of cool things you can research about it. But the, the scroll of Isaiah was huge because they found the scroll. And so the scroll of Isaiah that they found in the Dead Sea Scrolls was a thousand years older than the, earth, than the Masoretic text than the earliest copy we had. And so scholars went and started studying that. And what they say in common terms, there's, there's A's, and this is where I talk about, you know, the when you look at manuscript evidence, not, not all the manuscripts say exactly the same thing. There are errors in some of the manuscripts, but the errors are not, they're like an A or an an or a, a comma in the wrong place. Very, very minor that does not change the meaning of it at all, at all. Doesn't change any of the meaning. 
And so when you study them, the, the archaeologists and the historians say, in common terms, it's word for word. We have evidence of a thousand years of translations, a thousand years of copies being made, not translations, copies being made of manuscripts, writing on all kinds of stuff. We have a thousand years difference with evidence of it being word for word. And so you look at the manuscript evidence. I gave you a little thing on your sheet right there. So in Aristotle's Ode to Poetics, there's 49 manuscript copies. And not all of those are full copies. You have 49 copies. So 49 different manuscripts. And here's the thing. The more manuscripts you have, the more that you can compare. So if there's 49 manuscripts, you can read all the manuscripts and see how they compare to one another. Okay, so you want to have more manuscript evidence. And when it comes to the ancient writings of any civilization, of any people on planet Earth, the number 49 is actually a high number. The majority of them are like two, three, seven manuscript copies because we have none of the originals of the ancient world, none whatsoever. And so what ends up happening is you want to find these copies. And then what you want to do, stay with me, you want to find from the date that that manuscript, not the original writing, but the date that copy was made, looking at, looking at the material, dating that copy, uh, the, the date between that manuscript copy and its original authorship. Whatever that date is, is important. Because if that date is a big time span, then it's susceptible to, well, how did it stay true for that many years? If it's that many years separated from the eyewitness generation that it's writing about. And if it's a shorter time, all scholars of any writing, of any culture, of any time use this when they, when they test writings. And if it's a shorter time, then there's, it's more trustworthy. So when you look, these are, the, these are the top ones of the ancient world. So Aristotle's thing, 49 copies, and it's 1,400 years from the copy that they have, the earliest copy that they have of the 49 to the, to the original authorship. 1,400-year difference. The second one, six, uh, Homer's Iliad, 643 copies. That is unheard of. That is unheard of. That far blows everything else away. And it's 1,300 years from the earliest manuscript copy to the original writing. 1,300 years of, ah, maybe it was copied right, maybe we don't know. When you go to just the New Testament, the 27 New Testament letters, there are over, when you look in all the different languages, there are over 24,000 manuscript copies. And some of those parchments of it are 40 years in the eyewitness generation. And the majority go up to 150, maybe just a little bit after that. So when you look at the evidence of Scripture, you can trust your Bible for all those reasons. And here's the thing. Here's what you got to think about. You don't have to believe the Bible. But if you don't believe the Bible, what are you going to believe? You can believe your emotions. Oh, that's a great idea. I don't trust the Bible. 66 books, three different continents, three different languages. I don't trust the Bible, but I trust my emotions. 
Oh, here's a better one. I trust my government. I trust my culture. Oh, that's a good idea. You're going to trust yourself? Well, I just believe this. I just don't believe God would be that way. You're going you're gonna to throw away all this reliability that, that blows away. There is no other religious book that even comes close. You look at Hinduism, look at Buddhism, go study it. Go look at all of it. Go look at it. Many of those don't even claim to be the writings of God. Go And, and, and Hindu, it's, just, it's all these gods. Go, go look at it. So if you're, if you're not going to believe the Bible, what are you going to believe? Your, yourself, you're going to believe culture, you're going to believe society, you're going to believe your emotions. So my prayer for you is that you would open your Bible and look to Jesus. And if there's anybody in the room that you've been struggling in your relationship with God, you've been struggling with hearing the voice of God, my advice to you is open your Bible and get in the verse. And as you get in your verse, you open your heart. The more time you spend in the Word, the more time you're going to be ready to hear His voice. And you just come and you, you, you trust this. You open your heart to see this. Because you know what the Bible is really about? The Bible is about if this is a courtroom... And this is a courtroom, and God is the judge. Say, Jesus is the judge. And he's, he's going he's to judge the world. And you come in the courtroom, and you are guilty as heck. And he looks and, and, and identifies. He says, your rap sheet. And you're like, no, it's not that bad, whatever, I'm not that bad. And you have this, you're, you're guilty. And then here's what he, before he hits the gavel, and pronounces your sentence and your guilt. He comes, the judge takes off his robe, he comes down the steps, leaves his judgment seat, and takes your guilt. Takes your guilt. Pronounces judgment on himself in your place. And when he's resurrected from that, took your jail time and your sentence all in three days. And when he is resurrected, the resurrected king comes back up, puts back on the robe, comes in the thing, and now says, not guilty. That's what your Bible is about. It's not a rule book. It's a relationship book. So you're going to trust enlightenment or the King of kings and the Lord of lords? So, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over every person here and every family member here. I pray um, that your word would leap off the page to them, God, that you would grow and you would help them and help us have a hunger and a deep love for your word, God. Teach us and help us. Let your voice be heard in our heart. I pray you would speak and you would show yourself. Show yourself to those who are struggling in dreams, in visions, and just make appearances. So, Lord, we trust you. And I feel like I'm supposed to say this to somebody. 
You remember the parable? And it really isn't even a parable because Jesus used a man's name. The rich man and Lazarus. And I don't believe it was a parable because Jesus actually used the guy's name. His name was Lazarus. Um, if it was a parable, he just would have said the rich man and the, and the, and the poor man. But what Lazarus, or the rich man who was in basically hell for sake of time, and he said, and he looked and saw, he looked and saw Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham, and he said, he said, send, he cried out to the Lord and said, send Lazarus to my house because I have five brothers and I don't want them to come to this place. Because remember he said, just, just dip the tip of your finger in water and let me get one drop to give me rest from my torment. And he said, send, send somebody. Because if somebody, if somebody was raised from the dead, my brothers would listen. And Jesus, through the, through the story, answered this. He has the law of Moses and the prophets. If he won't hear them, he won't hear even if somebody's raised from the dead. Your heart to this book is crucial. So, Father, I pray an open heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Faith Center podcast. To connect with us, go to faithcenter.tv and fill out our connection card. We pray blessings over you and your family. We'll see you next time.